Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And Chris, several years ago, I learned a deep, profound truth. Would you like to hear my deep, profound truth? Oh, please. Pain hurts. <laughs> Must have been experiential. Is that the case, Lynn? Yes. I mean, no one likes pain. I mean, pain hurts. But sometimes this issue comes up because we wonder, you know, if God loves us, why am I, why do I, why am I in pain? Why do we suffer? And that whole issue of suffering is our topic for today for this podcast. We are looking together at uh, a series of sessions that focus on uh, being confident in the face of hard questions. So we've uh, we have six sessions in the study, and uh, we're tackling hard questions. And one of those, the, the one that we're dealing with today, is why do we suffer? And I think it's a perfectly legitimate conversation to have. Uh, one of the things we're going to discover, uh, if 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 you as a listener haven't realized this. Suffering is one of those universal things. It comes into all of our lives. And so um, we're going to look together at uh, God's Word. We're going to look at the uh, book of Job. And Ron Brown is with us today. Ron has uh, worked f- uh, for a long time on the Herschel Hobbes uh, commentary and, and advanced Bible study. And uh, Ron, thank you for writing, and thanks for taking time to be with us on this podcast today. Thanks for having me again. I always enjoy it. For those of you who have been using Advanced Bible Study, the supplemental commentary that's part of Bible Studies for Life, if you've been using that, Ron may be a new uh, writer for you. However, for our friends who've been using Herschel Hobbes' commentary, Ron has been the writer for that for many, many years now. And what we've done with this, with the fall that we're in now is we have actually taken the Herschel Hobbes commentary and its advanced Bible study and merged them together into one book. Uh, it's part of that is because the books have been almost identical, well, identical in the way they look. Uh, but we just thought that was a great way for our advanced friends to be, uh, really take advantage of the great writing consistent style that dr brown has brought to the book so ron thank you for your your writing week in and week out thank you for doing that well i'm glad to it's a it's a privilege to do it well ron so we've invited you as our subject matter expert on suffering today (laughs) (laughs) sorry about that man Um, everybody wants to everybody wants to be that uh, expert don't they Ah. So take a few moments to introduce uh, Job. I think people recognize the name and know a little bit, but let's just be sure we're all on the same page as we begin this conversation um, from the book of Job about suffering. All right. I'd be glad to do that because we're dealing with a a book of the Bible that's got 42 chapters, and uh, we're dealing with, uh, as far as our study is concerned, just a few verses from a couple of chapters. So there's a whole lot that goes on in this book uh, that, uh, that you know, we're not going to touch on. But essentially, the book of Job tells the story about a righteous man named Job, whom God, at Satan's insistence, afflicted as a test of his fidelity and integrity. And as a result, he lost his wealth, lost his family, 
he suffered uh, physically and emotionally and mentally. Uh, at one point, his wife urged him to curse God and die, but Joseph would, uh, excuse me, Job would not do that. However, at one other point, he did rue the day he was born, and he uh, often expressed his own angry dissatisfaction with God. Uh, I mentioned to you guys the name of John Ortberg. Uh, John uh, is a pastor and writer, and I was at a conference that um, he was a participant um, at uh, several years ago, and he was writing and talking about Job at the time, and he gave a, an interesting description of what you've described, because what happens in Job 1 and 2 is um, this conversation between God and Satan regarding um, Job, and God is bragging on Job about what a what a great righteous person he is and 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 satan is taking shots and saying well you know if you if you didn't give him everything if you didn't bless him if you take some of that stuff away so that that is all that the setup or the prologue and orper described it almost as a a theater uh description where there's something going on uh on stage between god and satan and Job is not aware of that conversation of what's going on. And so the heart of the book is we see we know the introduction because we have we have read and seen that there's this debate between God and Satan and Job's not aware of it. And all of these things that play out in the rest of the book of Job are connected to how he responds to what happens without knowing that big picture uh dynamic of the book. Is that that was helpful for, for me to think about it from that perspective. And, and those who do kind of literary analyses of, uh, of the book of Job, some do uh, describe it in, in terms of a drama that's going on, just as you were saying Ortberg did. Well, one of the things that is, is kind of at the heart of this book does reflect uh, a cultural perspective. I would say it was an ancient cultural perspective, but it's also uh, very contemporary, that if something bad happens to you, it means you did something bad. That, uh, you know, good people don't suffer. And so Job is uh, is in part a victim of that mindset in that these bad things begin to happen, losing his family, losing his wealth, and, and physically... Uh, uh, beginning to, uh, to, to, to falter. Uh, so the conclusion is, I must have done something, but I know I didn't do anything. And, and what comes along is he's got these three friends that show up to try to, uh, quote, comfort him. But their comfort is all directed toward, you did something wrong, and so you need to c confess it and repent of it. And so, you know, there's where he pushes back by saying, uh, you know, it's kind of like he's saying, I know that's the popular opinion, but I also know that I didn't do anything that would be deserving of what has happened to me. There's got to be another explanation for suffering. And so that's, you know, in, in some respects, that's what he is trying to do as this story unfolds 
Uh, it's not what he accomplishes because he never really comes to be able to identify this is why suffering takes place because God never tells him uh, the, the answer to that question. Because the point is, whatever caused the suffering to take place, how are you going to respond to it? And there's where, you know, the story takes on significance for us that Job eventually came to the conclusion, I may never know what caused it, but I do know how I can respond to it. And that is by trusting that God does all things and he does all things well. Ron, I've always had the impression as I read through the book of Job, which is actually become one of my favorite Old Testament books. I've always had the impression that Job earlier would have been right there with his three friends on that that concept, bad things happen because you did something sinful. But Job has now come to this point of going, wait a minute, I've got to rethink my theology there because I know I haven't done anything. Yeah. And so you get into Job, we're going to pick up in Job 30, uh, pick up in this conversation Job's having with these friends where he is going to acknowledge, you know, we all experience suffering in the sense, even those who seek a good do. I want to begin reading in Job 30, verse 26. These are Job's words. But when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, darkness came. I am churning within and cannot rest. Days of suffering confront me. I walk about blackened, but not by the sun. I stood in the assembly and cried out for help. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin blackens and flakes off, and my bones burn with fever. My lyre is used for mourning, and my flute for the sound of weeping. Wow. He's uh, in the midst of uh, of this book, uh, this challenge from his friends, he uh, acknowledges the hopelessness, the despair, uh, longing for good and evil comes, looking for light and darkness comes, um, just and and recognizing that suffering, these days of suffering confront me. Uh, just a powerful, powerful imagery in this passage. Uh, I, I, part of the pain that Job is experiencing here is he has assessed that when others were going through tough times, he was always there for them. And part of the pain that he's feeling now is I'm, I'm going through a tough time and I've, I'm looking for some support for some comfort, for some direction, and I can't find it. And it's, uh, it's as if, and my friends have, have, uh, uh, you know, have come to the house here, but rather than bring me a casserole and comfort me, they've begun to tell me how, how bad I must be. And so, you know, not only the, you know, all this pain that he's been feeling, uh, is, is exacerbated by the fact that I don't even have people I can count on. And, uh, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem fair because I've been a guy that others could count on and now I have nobody to count on. And so it just adds to the whole bleakness of my life experience. So that sense of isolation and being alone is, is, uh, a part of the reference to the jackals and the ostriches, I think. And, uh, just, just his, his feelings here. 
Now, Chris, there was something good these friends did, and it's early on in the book of Job. Job has begun to experience all this suffering, and early in the book of Job, it tells us these three friends came, and they sat with him in silence for a week. I thought, okay, good for you. There is that sense of, you know, sometimes we, well, I want to go be that person who's hurting, but I don't know what to say. It's that sense of presence, which is is so helpful. And I think that the, these three friends did well for a week. Yeah, the one good thing they did. And then they opened their mouths. Okay, Job, we've sat with you long enough. We've patted your hand. We've been concerned. But now we're going to lay in on you. So uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I want our listeners to understand the significance of that. Uh, sometimes the most important thing that we do with someone who is suffering or someone who is grieving is just to go and be there. There are no words. There's nothing that we can say to make it better. Uh, us explaining how awful they were and how they deserve this isn't going to help. <laughs> it didn't help Job. He, he argued with his friends. Um, and uh, that, I, I appreciate the fact that you brought that up, Lynn. Well, when they started talking, the focus was on, was more of a defense of God than it was trying to help Job work through his his suffering issue. They felt like, We've got to be sure that Job understands he must be wrong because God is good and he would never do anything, you know, like this. And that would be unfair. Uh, and, and I bring that up because sometimes there is a tendency on our part, even when we open our mouths to speak, that we begin to deal with some, I'm going to call them platitudes. Uh, about God, that uh, God doesn't need my defense in that way. Uh, and it probably is not very helpful to that one who is suffering. It simply, as it did to Job, kind of adds to the burden to think, man, everybody thinks that I'm, that I've really, I've really done something bad here. And that doesn't, that doesn't offer any comfort at all. It just uh, kind of, it's, it's piling on, so to speak. But Ron, you hit upon something too that a lot of skeptics, a lot of people who want to reject God, reject Jesus, what they jump on. This idea that, well, you say God is loving, you say he's all powerful. Well, if he's loving, he wouldn't allow that suffering to happen. Uh, so maybe, maybe he's an all powerful God, but he's not loving because he doesn't stop this. Or maybe he is loving, but he doesn't have power and he doesn't have the ability to stop it. So they use that as reasons to reject God. Yet the reality is there's we don't always have the answers of why something is happening. Our next passage is in Job 42, where we're going to see Job responding to God. But what's happened prior to this is God has actually stepped into the conversation. What is interesting and Ron alluded to this earlier as he's kind of given this overview of Job. God never answers the questions that, Job, why am I going through this? But what God does instead, he turns the tables and he asks Job questions. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I created that? And there's a sense of Job is going to realize 
you know, I just don't really fully understand and comprehend who God is. But let's let's go to Job 42, and I want you to see Job's response to God's questioning. This is in verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? But surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. God helped Job to realize there's ways that he works that we can't fully comprehend and understand. And in that moment, we need to just to trust his sovereignty. Uh, think of the passage out of Isaiah that says that my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways uh, as a great uh, segue and connection uh, to what Job has said in these verses. Uh, he comes to the realization, oh, God, your your ways are higher than my ways. Your your thoughts are beyond me, and uh, I, I don't have anything. I can't say anything. Well, I think that latter part of verse 3 is, you know, is a, a real turning point for Job to admit, I was talking about things I didn't know anything about. Uh, there are often times, I think, that uh, let me just make it personal that I know more about being God than God does. You know, I know how things ought to work, how they ought to go, what would be best. And, uh, you know, I think Job was in that, that same vein of thinking and finally got to this point to say, I spoke about things I did not understand to things too wondrous for me to know. Uh, it is that admission that God knows more than I do. And it is, uh, it is at least the opening of a turning to a life of trust that says, and I'm, I'm confident that what God does, he does best. I dare say a lot of people will be dissatisfied with our Bible study. They're going to leave their groups because the question is, why, why am I suffering? We, we're not going to answer that in the Bible study because the scripture doesn't answer it. And, and it's not just Job that doesn't answer it. Uh, you know, that's a, you know, that question uh, is, I mean, that question has been around forever as to why, why, why? Uh, how many of the Psalms are there that, that surface that question as to why is this happening to me? Uh, it is a, a, a probing question of uh, humanity throughout all human history. And we don't, ever find a satisfactory answer to the why. That's why we must focus more on the how. How do I deal with what is? And and what does it say about my concept of God, uh, which is maybe a, uh, another lesson that's at the heart of this, that uh, Job learned more about God and who God is and how trustworthy God was uh, and how superior God was. And that's why he was able to come to at least some point of being satisfied that I don't know why, but I trust God. And, and that's the, you know, that is a big challenge. And any, any of us that have been through those suffering points, uh, you'd sure like a why answer. You don't get it. But uh, if you can get to that point of saying, but I trust God, uh, 
that's uh, that, that that's going a long ways in being able to live with yourself as well as live with the suffering. Well, Ron, and you see that as we as you see Job as he continues his response, that element of trust. Verse four, he's, uh, Job said, you said, listen now and I will speak. And when I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. And I hear in this, Job has experienced the presence of God and we can experience the presence of God even in the midst of suffering. And it brought him to a point of repentance, which is interesting in that that's what his friends wanted him to do is repent. He repented, but he didn't repent of something, some sinful action or attitude that he had. He repented for his failure to trust God. And uh, that, you know, that, that, that's where he finally reached that uh, high point in this whole experience that he could depend on God. I've come to have a deep appreciation uh, for Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And the next line has become one of my favorites. Do not lean on your own understanding. And uh, I appreciate the fact that Job came to that place where he just, God, you are God. I I will trust in you. Uh, I don't have to have all the answers. I trust you. Let me just add here. I think for me, this subject of suffering is... It's one reason we really need to stay connected to the body of Christ. I know Christ is in me. Uh, His Holy Spirit is placed in me as a believer. But when you go through these difficult times, when I go through difficult times, it's great to be with other believers who can walk with me, encourage me. And even I can sense God's presence through them to know God is sovereign. My friends don't have to give me all the answers. They don't have to explain things. But just to walk with me and through their presence, I can experience the presence of God, in a sense, even as Job experienced the presence of God. Let me, uh, let me share something that I came across here just a few days ago that may have some relevance to the discussion today. Uh, this came from, a, he was a popular preacher a few decades ago who said, the seemingly worst things are never the last things in the alchemy of God, uh, that evil never is the victor. God will always have the last word. God, and, and this preacher in one of his other books said, God, whose other name is surprise, will prove his superiority even in suffering so that we can have hope and never give up. And uh, to me, that's a powerful message that uh, uh, is in some ways uh, the message of Job and, and the conclusion that he came to. Who, who was that? John Claypool. We yeah. may not know why we yeah. suffer, but God meets us in our suffering. Ron, thank you for joining us for this discussion about suffering and looking at it from the perspective of the book of Job. Thank you. And Chris, it's good to do a podcast with you. And all of you who listen, thank you for being part of taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I hope you'll take some time to really look at this study, read, 
as you before you go into your group so that you can really have a great rich discussion as you talk about this with your Bible study group. And Chris and I look forward to being with you for our next podcast. <music>